A bit of podglomerate housekeeping before we get started here. Plus 7 Intelligence, a show about how games impact people, hosted by NASA scientist Chez Hall, just launched last week. Shout out to Matt Horton and Status for completing Season 1. And Season 2 of The Feast, Meals That Made History with Laura Carlson, launches on August 4th. Be sure to subscribe to all of them and more at thepodglomerate.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You are now entering the Podglomerate. It is important to bring that understanding, or to, to try to um, try to usher people towards uh, an, an understanding of how the world works in in in, in that way. So Jeff, you're doing, uh, you're you're a pretty much a pro VO artist now. Did I, I'm assuming, you know we're referring, of course, to the Podglomerate opening where you hear the sweet, sweet tones of Jeff promoting his new company. I think you mean the sweet, sweet tones of Jeff's lisp. Um, I mean, I wouldn't call those tones, but sure. <laughs> uh, what do they call it? Uh, it's not synesthesia. It is. Uh, sibilance? Yes. Sibilance? I think that's it, yeah. Um, anyway, I didn't even know what VO stood for until like a year ago. Are you kidding me? I mean, like, obviously I could insinuate what it meant, but intuit what it meant, but I mean, it's better. I had just never really come across that before. I feel that welcome to writers who don't write. Um, I'm Kyle and that's Jeff who apparently has lived his entire life in the darkness. And this show is brought to you by the Podglomerate. Who do we have on it this week? Brendan O'Connor. And uh, tell me why I should know him. Well, you might know him from Twitter. A lot of our listeners might know him from Twitter. But Brendan O'Connor is is known as Grendon there. And he gets into the story as to why he got that name. Uh, but you have to listen all the way through the interview. It's, it's one of the last things that he says. So um, check him out on Twitter. Listen to the interview. And... Uh, Brendan is a reporter at the special projects desk for Gizmodo, um, which sounds like an incredible job to have. Yeah, for it's really anyone. Yeah, I mean, he has a really cool history of being like a really young bootstrapping reporter at a bunch of new media companies that are doing really interesting things, like the All and Gawker, uh, or at least what was formerly known as Gawker before it got eaten up by the Fusion Media Group, uh, and he's doing you know, some really cool stuff now under this new umbrella with a lot of the same team members from his previous, his previous jobs. Uh, just to give you an idea of how cool what Brendan is doing is his most recent byline for Gizmodo is Navy officials new drowning pool was used to torture detainees when they invent, when they invited the band to Guantanamo. He's, he does he does some some strange fun and interesting articles which is part of the reason why we got him on the show uh, uh, yeah has, I'd say he's doing some incredible work yeah and he he also has a different kind of research status than not research status or a different research style than pretty much everybody else that we've had on the show uh, he just does some like super deep reporting and you can tell when you're reading it uh, yeah so let's get to it Today on the show, we have Brendan O'Connor. Welcome, Brendan. Hey, guys. So, I'm curious, have you uh, listened to the show before? Uh, I I have not. <laughs> Putting him right on the spot, straight out of the <laughs> gate. God, Welcome oh, to the show. Man. Let me ask you, you me a what do you think of it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I listened to, uh, there's a new uh, interview series from Jesse Thorne where he talks to people about interviewing, uh-huh. and... Ira Glass said that the the first thing you should do, well, he didn't say the first, but he said one thing that you should do is is make sure to ask somebody a question that you know is going to make them uncomfortable because they give the best answers. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I, in principle, I, I agree with that. Although I think in practice, it, it, I, w- I would, I would suggest that probably the first question is maybe not. Where, <laughs> where just want to just want to keep you on your toes, you know. Uh, well, let me t- let me let me also say, like, I do appreciate your informed opinion as someone who's been doing reporting for a long time. Uh, but I would also. Uh, just say that common sense also dictates that, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> it's like not a hard truth that we would have had to slog years through like reporting to understand. Hey, we broke the ice. <laughs> so, well, I, I mean, Kyle, Kyle alluded to this just now, but uh, you have been reporting for a long time. So I'm wondering if you can tell us, uh, you know, just a little bit about you. <laughs> uh, it doesn't, I'll tell you, it doesn't feel like a long time. Um I, uh, let's see, I, I graduated, um, from college in 2012. I was living and working at home, um, for a little while after that and then moved to New York, um, in January, 2013. Where, where is home? Uh, Jersey. So not, didn't have too far to go. Um, and, um, I, I would say that it was it was really like that that summer of 2013 that I um, like really started like working as a reporter. Um, I was an intern at the All um, and working very closely with Corey Sika, who was one of the co-founders and co-editors, um, and he was still there at that time. And he sort of I was I was lucky enough to um, have him basically. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, he was, he was, he was and, and is a mentor um, and sort of let me just do kind of metro reporting. That was the summer of the um, mayoral election or the Democratic primary of the mayoral elections. And so, like, Anthony Weiner was trying to make his comeback and Bill de Blasio was coming out of nowhere. And there was just, uh, it was just, it was a fun, um, a fun summer of me, like, going out and making a lot of mistakes doing like shoe leather reporting. Um, and so, so yeah, so I mean, so that's really only, um, what, four, four years ago. Uh, so, so that doesn't, um, feel like an especially long time to me. I mean, I work with like some people who are not significantly older than me or some people who are, who are a little bit older than me. Um, I don't know. I, I work with some very experienced people, and I I feel like a uh, I feel like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're trying to be super diplomatic about the fact that you've been doing it for four years. Do people? I, I mean, that that's a a long enough time, I think, to to get your bearings and to start gaining a deeper understanding, don't you think? And, and frankly, it's longer than than quite a few of the guests that we've already had on the show before. <laughs> um, I do feel that I have started to get my bearings yes i i feel comfortable saying that um i feel like in the field of reporting in particular there's a certain like it's almost like badges of honor you gain at like 10 years and then 20 years and then 30 years where it's like i bet you, you just turn into the grumpy old stereotype <laughs> of the reporter mm-hmm. um, shouting at the young people for being on your lawn and playing music too loudly <laughs> for blogging <laughs> for black. I love I love seeing that on Twitter too because you know media Twitter is the best and then you have old people who well older people who don't necessarily know like the etiquette and they just do not give a shit it's the best well reporters in general are notoriously crotchety right uh that has been my experience yeah <laughs> um what do you think that our generation's uh blogging is going to be because clearly once we you know once we start to hit the 30-year mark we can't exactly decry the 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 mode that gave many of us our start (laughs) um i mean i know that already uh like one of my coworkers was just talking about how they have a um you know like a 16 or 17 year old cousin who consumes their news um and is like an informed teenager uh consumes their news through snapchat and it's not and it's not videos like they read articles on snapchat which i don't i don't understand what yeah i don't i don't know i don't understand what that means Uh, i've I've done that but it's happening is that possible 
Yeah, if you if you scroll to the right, like open up your Snapchat app and then go to the right, and they have all these brand stories that are on there. Um, the only issue I have with that is that almost everything on there is paid media, so you know it's all like brand stories that people people bought ad space for basically. There aren't like aren't there new like isn't there like Vox like Snap Channel or something? There is, but I'm like very uncertain as to which ones are paid spaces and which ones are not. And I don't okay. think they. I, I mean, and I could be I could be very wrong here, but as, yeah. as I understand it, uh, all of the providers that have stories up there, which is pretty much everybody that is like a multi million dollar organization in the news field, uh, I believe that all of them have have paid uh, for that placement. Oh, I see. Okay. Um... Yeah, well, well. Anyway, I mean, that's like, I don't know if that's really an answer to your question. I have, I have no idea what the next, the next blogging is. I also like, like I've, there's like too much other shit to worry about. <laughs> it's like that's like so not my problem. <laughs> I'm, I'm just not going to worry about that. I think you give a pretty solid answer. I mean, learning that a teenager, for the record, learning that a teenager consumes most of their news. Uh, through Snapchat was immediately horrifying and confusing at the same time. So I guess uh, you you nailed it is the point. And I guess I have to do some more looking at Snapchat. Well, on, on the flip side of that, though, the reason I, I even know who you are, Brandon, is through Twitter because you are you know one of the snarky media reporters that I love to follow. And I I mean it, it, it's true. It's like that's how I consume my news nowadays. I I mean I also read books and watch movies and. You know, read blogs and newspapers, and and I'm one of the few people I know that after college, I was lucky enough to have a job that would deliver a pile of newspapers to my desk for for five plus years. Oh wow! But yeah, and I mean, I there's something to be said. I, I would still find an article that I love, and then like open up a browser tab and read it there. But you know, there's something to be said about like new and old forms of media. Um, and so I was hoping that that you could talk to us a little bit about that. But before we get there. Uh, I want to just give our listeners a little bit of context as to like where you work now and how you got there. So you worked for, uh, it, it was it was Quire? I, I always screw up how to pronounce that, but the founder of the all, right? Uh, Corey, yeah. Corey, okay. So it's spelled very funny for anybody that wants to make fun of me for saying that. <laughs> so, uh, how, how would you pronounce his last name? Saka? <laughs> no. So, oh, so correct, correct me here, because I, I've actually emailed him about being on the show before, and uh-huh. and there was a point where he, I think he was going to come on, and uh, I mean, he he did not. But um, did he ask you to say his name out loud? Well, just in case he ever does, let's let's hear it. <laughs> it's 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 simple. It's just it's Corey Sika. Got it. I was close. Yeah, um, yeah so uh, kind of. <laughs> What okay. I what I think is more interesting is that um, Brendan has already said that name several times. I know, I know. And in any case, uh, why don't why don't you tell us like a little bit? Because you you I mean, for only being in the media world for four years, have had quite the journey. I think so far. Um. Uh. Yeah. Sure. Uh. <laughs> I mean, so it it, it it's funny to um to be talking about this on. on on a podcast because I, when I, after I graduated, I was living at home and I had like no idea, um, like what to do. <laughs> uh, I had started listening to the long form podcast and Corey was a guest. Um, and it was a great interview. Uh, and I had been, I had been reading the all for a little while before that one of the questions that they asked him was something to the effect of like, what's something that you and Alex Balk, the, the, the other co-founder um, want to do, to do with the all that you haven't yet been able to. And Corey's answer was to hire a couple of like 24 year olds to just go out into New York city and um, be, like Metro reporters. And so I emailed Corey after I listened to that interview and I said, I will do that. (laughs) Let let me like, let me do that for you. I don't 
have any reporting experience or a journalism background, but I'll do what I'm told. Um, and he sort of laughed at me and, uh, like intermittently like teased me and ignored me for a couple weeks. Um, and eventually I sort of just like harassed him into taking me on as an intern the like the following summer. Um, and that was a great experience. It, it, it wasn't paid, um, but it was very self-directed and it kind of like, I set the terms of, of, you know, the work that I was doing for them. Um, and, you know, I like really wanted to report and, and he helped me, um, do that and gave me ideas and, and told me what I was doing wrong and, and, you know, how, how to conduct an interview and, uh, was off to the races. And so where'd you go from there after the all? Um, after the all, I, then I was a freelancer. I kind of went from like part-time freelance gig to part-time freelance gig while writing as much as I could. Um, and so that meant, uh, various like fact checking jobs and um like part-time like editorial assistant work um for uh like one magazine or another um and eventually one of those gigs or eventually I got a gig uh blogging on the weekends for Gawker which then after a period of time turned into blogging on the nights on at at night for Gawker which was awful <laughs> because that, and that was at like the very the like the beginning of the um the presidential campaign it was just like the worst mm-hmm. uh and and then after i i had been i had been um nights or rather i had been part-time for gawker for i guess about a, a year and a half um before they offered me the staff job and so in that time you know like I was up I was freelance for like almost three years before I got the staff job at Gawker and can you walk us through just for people who don't know myself included what that freelance life looks like while you're working part-time during the day and part-time at night um what is the what's the actual workflow look like how does the work come in who are you dealing with um how do you drum up more of it yeah so I um I would not necessarily uh, recommend what I did or, or say like, this is how it works or like, this is what you should try to do. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, but I will say that like uh, what the path, I don't know, the path that I took, uh, it worked for me to the extent that like, I have a job that I like now (laughs) and like, and also I had fun when I was freelancing. Um, so I, I guess the, the overall dynamic was always trying to have, um, some consistent baseline income. So that was like these like part-time gigs where I could know, you know, in any given month, uh, even if I don't, you know, get in a new freelance assignment, turn it around and like get paid for it, that I like, I'll make rent. Like I, because I have this, um, you know, I was like, I was a fact checker at like Rolling Stone for a little while. And then at, um, a real estate magazine called the real deal. And then, and then I got, um, was getting other like consistent, um, fact checking assignments from, from other, from other people. And that kind of just gave me the, uh, like a floor that then Mm -hmm. anything, any other freelance assignments that I got from pitching my own stories and ideas was then, you know, just on top of that. Um, I have to imagine that the, the numbers and the prices that you're getting are, are steadily growing as you go with, as a freelance writer. Because I mean, I've written for outlets that paid me a hundred dollars, and and now my average rate is like two hundred dollars, and and I know that that's low, uh, but I mean, I also know that there are plenty of people who make a lot of money doing this. There 
are people who I don't know if there are people who make a re- lot of re- money <laughs> relative to what I'm making. Yeah, um, I definitely have. Or ha- when I was freelancing, I had friends and, and and colleagues who were better at uh, leveraging, you know, like one assignment with one with a given rate into then okay going to a going to a new editor at a different publication and saying like okay this this other publication paid me this rate and like can you like you have to match that or raise it um i'm terrible at that i'm 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 i have no i have essentially no business savvy or acumen um which is not good (laughs) like (laughs) like it is it is very helpful to um be sensitive to that and to be kind of cognizant of, of, um, of those things. But my, basically what, what I did was, um, I mean, I, I wrote for the all, I continued to write for the all a lot. And I basically, when I found an editor that I had a good working relationship with, um, even if they couldn't pay me as much as another place would for me at that, at that, you know, the, 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 that early stage of my career, um, working with editors who I trusted and who trusted me and who I felt like in the process of, um, talking to them about story ideas, going through drafts, going through revisions with them, um, that that was like that that was that had its own um that that was worth something that that was like worth more or not more that was worth that was as as worth it to me as you know trying to like bounce from outlet to outlet and publication to publication trying to raise my rate uh without necessarily um cultivating like deeper relationships with editors. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is not to say that those things are, are necessarily mutually exclusive. It's just that at that stage in my career, like I kind of felt like I really only had the capacity to, to do one or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it was the former for me um, was more, was not more important, but that's just the direction that I wanted to go. And, And I was enabled to do that, um, like the fact that I, that I had these consistent part-time gigs kind of enabled me to do, to, to do that. And, and each of those, you know, fact checking or editorial assistant gigs are probably also helping you, you know, learn the business and, and get connections and network. And, uh, you know, I mean, there are probably good optics there for, for editors that you're working with. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and also, and also like, uh, like, like skill based stuff. I mean, like fact checking, like is, is a skill, um, and, and is something that both complements reporting and then, and is also, uh, like, you know, once you have one fact checking gig, you can say like, I fact, I was a fact checker for X, Y, and Z publications. You are more likely to be able to get, the same kind of work somewhere else um, in a way that like, you, you know, like you can't necessarily show like clips for that. Um, I mean, I guess you could, you could say I like fact checked this story, but that would be weird. It's not like really something people do. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So Brendan, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, and I don't know like if or what you can say here, but I believe you were at Gawker during the whole Hulk Hogan thing, right? Yes. So can you tell us a little bit what that was like? Because, I mean, I, I hadn't realized this at the time, but it sounds like this was pretty early on in your career. Like, was that scary? Was it scary? Um, and also as a follow-up, what's it like trying to write in an environment like that? It really felt like um, it really felt like it was us against the world, um, which 
as stressful and as, I mean, really just kind of like deeply unpleasant as it was to feel kind of like beset on all sides, both in the context of the courtroom, but then also in the, um, the court of public opinion, as it were, uh, before the revelation about Peter Thiel, um, it, 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 it was, yeah, it was, it was really, um, it felt like it was us against the world because anyone who ever had any kind of beef with Gawker, which was a lot of people, uh, took that opportunity to kind of like unload, um, all of their resentments, either explicitly, um, or, implicitly using Hogan as a proxy. And as it turns out, one of those people was a billionaire. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, so, and I mean, when, when, when what was really going on, um, when we started to discover what was really going on and, and, and we internally actually had like, There, there were rumors that there was someone secretly funding a lot of the litigation that was uh, ongoing at the time, um, but we didn't know who it was or why they were doing it or to what extent they were involved. And a couple, and and I mean, I remember talking to somebody about it and uh, feeling like this, like there's no way that, like, we were talking about a conspiracy. Like this is like there's no way this is true. Uh, <laughs> It was true, <laughs> and 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 it was real. Um, I mean, so like when that happened, that was like incredibly vindicating. Uh, it didn't change anything. <laughs> like Gawker still got shut down, um, but it did feel like uh, a lot of the events that were at the time sort of incomprehensible and like it didn't make sense why certain things were happening um, became clear and we sort of realized, okay, like we're not crazy. Uh, And also like, I don't know. It it basically just like, it it, it made it feel um, like re like reaffirmed the convictions that I think a lot of us had and like, uh, like why, why we, a lot of us had who worked at Gawker, like had been attracted to it in the first place and like wanted to keep working there even under um, these kind of dire circumstances. I mean, those like last six months of the site, like I think that we did like really incredible work. And I think that it was, I mean, it was a privilege to, like, be working alongside some really talented writers and reporters who, um, like, didn't give in um, and didn't uh, didn't give in to people telling us, like, how shitty we were and how we were were finally getting what we deserved. Um, How did did it feel to be like working or trying to work under that kind of pressure and stress? Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't necessarily want to like cast it as, uh, I mean, there are reporters who are working under like the threat of death. (laughs) Like like it could, it like, it could be worse. Like it, it could definitely be worse. Um, I will tell you that it, it was, and, and I mean, and, and still is, like, really hard. Like, it, I mean, this is, it's, the work that we do is not easy under the best of circumstances. And both a year ago at Gawker and even, and, and now, um, the kind of broader historical and political context is, uh, it's a deeply antagonistic environment um, and hostile. So that there's just there's just no there's no battle that isn't uphill. 
Um, what Here's what I think would be interesting. One of the stories you sent us ahead of time as a potential to talk about at the end, I think might fit nicely with discussion uh, with the discussion that we're having now. And it's called Friendly Fire and the American Patriot Death Cult. And if I understand the timing at all, and uh, it's a good rule of thumb to assume that I don't, that was probably <laughs> one of the last things that you wrote for Gawker, right? Uh, n- not quite. White. I mean, that was like. When did Gawker get shut down? Gawker shut down the very beginning of August. I actually think oh, okay. it would be helpful if you were to just give us like a thirty-second rundown of what happened, and you know who owns it, and and what that landscape looks like today. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so last summer, uh, Gawker Media was acquired by Univision. Um, after the company declared bankruptcy in the wake of the Hulk Hogan judgment, um, which was uh, for $140 million. Um, so we declared bankruptcy, was basically, basically like put on fire sale. Univision acquired us. And as part of... They, they acquired Gawker Media and all of the Gawker Media properties except for Gawker.com. Um and so and, and, and we what all, the, the Gawker Media properties, just for anybody who doesn't know. Sure. Um, so that's Gizmodo, Deadspin, Jezebel, Lifehacker, Kotaku, IO9, and Jalopnik. And now uh, Fusion, The Root, and The Onion and the AV Club. Or not the AV Club, just The Onion. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's a hell of a collection for yes. for media in 2017. Yeah, it's a great portfolio. Yeah. Worth, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm very happy for Univision. Yeah. <laughs> They've done well. Which is funny because just as recently as a couple of years ago, it was getting torn to shreds by you know every media institution blog out there. Well, that's not entirely true, but many of them were uh, kind of like making fun of, you know, what they were doing with Fusion Media and everything. So. Uh, yep. So, <laughs> and, I mean, they, they played the long game. They did. So. They did. They did. They did. Yeah. Yeah. It was a savvy. It was a savvy business move. I mean, Gawker Media like was a was a, uh, a profitable media company, which is which very few media companies can say, and especially an independent media company, the only thing that was dragging, or sorry, I should say that it was, it was, it was profitable, but for the Hogan lawsuit, um, which as was, as was a, uh, an artificially inflated, uh, cost, so now we're we're owned by Univision, um, and we so we're operating alongside um, all of these other great publications. Uh, I, all of the Gawker staffers were um, redistributed, rehomed at um, at other sites. I and a couple of my colleagues were like finished out the year at Jezebel, um, and in January. John Cook uh, launched a John, John Cook, sorry, the um, f- former executive editor of Gawker Media and one-time editor in chief of Gawker.com um, has launched and is leading a, a new investigative unit called the Special Projects Desk, where um, a group of us work independently of any of the. Um, Gizmodo Media Group sites uh, on our own um, features and investigations, and that are then published on whichever is the most appropriate uh, vertical. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, I didn't know about the special projects desk project. Uh, until we actually started doing research for the show, and I think it's it's such an interesting concept. It's like the spotlight unit. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah. Well, so you are, you know, doing investigations into what? 
Um, you know, just like whatever. <laughs> uh, there's there's like a lot going on. Um, I, I think that uh, I mean right now as as everyone as as with everyone, uh, our attention is kind of inexorably drawn um, to the Trump administration, um, both in the figure of Donald Trump himself, but then just the kind of like, uh, universe of, uh, ghouls and demons that are arrayed behind him and that have, uh, flooded through the, um, federal government. Um, I actually think that you're in a super interesting and unique position right now. And I mean, there are very few people that can say this about where they're at because you have the experience of working in these like really uh, authentic and ingenious new media companies that are experimenting with form, like the All and Gawker. You have the fact checking background. And, you know, for years, your articles are just relentlessly researched. And you are very clearly pulling sources from from everywhere and so it and it shows in some of your recent pieces uh but you kind of have you know free reign to to dig into whatever you want and uh, i think that you know i'm hoping people pay attention but i think that you're in a position where you're able to like really explore a lot of topics that a lot of reporters wish they could so i'm wondering you know kind of uh is that something that like provides more pressure or is it, is it really fun and exciting for you? Oh no, it's very fun and very exciting. And I, um, I mean, I certainly have plenty of complaints about, um, <laughs> plenty of complaints about our, our, our corporate parents and, um, and about workplace dynamics that, uh, I, I, I um, but you know who but but but, but who, <laughs> who, doesn't, who doesn't right who doesn't they uh, they would never kill a story that like uh you know i don't i don't know if they're like who their bedfellows are or anything but you know pretend that like you wanted to write like a big investigative piece that tears down like one of their their investors or something they wouldn't kill that would they uh they could try <laughs> interesting um, and you have, have you ever been in that position no, I, I I have not, and I don't think I, I I would I would not anticipate that. Um, I don't think they I don't think that they would even try. I mean, we are lucky enough to uh, have a union, and not lucky enough we formed a union, um, <laughs> and it, written into the union contract are lots of like mechanisms to make it clear that you know, that is not something that will ever fly. And if they tried it, we would walk out. I shouldn't say that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. if, or, you know, seize the means of production. Well, yeah, I mean, that, it's, it, there's, there's uh, steps to the, uh, to the process, but... You just, um, you just go in the office and remove all the routers. So. <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean... I was making a communism joke. Yeah, yeah I, I, um, I'm always here for a good communism joke. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, so I, I shouldn't say that we would necessarily walk out because I think there are... Um, <laughs> I can't, like, threaten that. Like, it's yeah. in a hypothetical. Anyway, point being... That, you would walk out into binding arbitration. <laughs> <laughs> the po- anyway, the point the point being is that um, you know editorial independence is is something that um, you know is is the highest value in our newsroom, and it's written into our union contract. And we like everyone, um, you know, not just for an investigative story. Like if anything were to come to pass, I I would have every confidence that my um, that my comrades would we would you know stand up for for anyone in the newsroom who like uh felt like they were getting leaned on by corporate to not publish something um Did, didn't you just write a piece about uh about russia or something or am i am i conflating that with someone else because it's it's real interesting that you're using all these these uh comrade jokes um Oh um, no! no. <laughs> that, that was that was that's not a joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I uh. think I, I mean I, I think my my 
as as you if you know me from Twitter, my my politics are um, I don't hide my politics. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it it is it is very interesting as as a complete aside though. Uh, I you know I do a lot of like book publicity work um, to pay my bills, mm-hmm. and uh, one of my clients is. Um, has a master's in Russian history and mm-hmm. is doing a whole piece right now on how uh, the Donald Trump era has um, kind of blown up a bunch of like language that hasn't been used since the Cold War. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's such a like fascinating story idea. Totally. So uh, but anyway, I don't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, um, I, I guess I, 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 uh, I distracted myself and, and the answer, to, the answer, or not the answer to your question, but just the point that I was trying to eventually coming back to was that, uh, I absolutely believe that the position that I'm in right now and, 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 um, the job that I have right now is the best job that I could possibly have, <laughs> the best job that I could like reasonably have given like where I am in my career and in my experience level and like what's, what's out there basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are, I don't know, like the, the, there are the kind of like Olympian heights, um, that we all aspire to. Uh, but I'm not, you know, I'm not like, a like a crazy genius. Um, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm not like insanely talented. I just try to work yeah. really hard. And you, uh, you, you, uh, you had a lucky streak where you were in the right place at the right time and you have the talent to support that. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but, but yeah, so I mean this, I, this job, it is, um, it's a great job and, and I am going to try and ride, ride this, uh, <laughs> ride, ride it out for as long as I can until they realize that uh, this guy wait, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He didn't go to journalism <laughs> see, school. See, there it is again. There it is again. Imposter syndrome. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's so funny to me that, uh, you know, I mean, for all intents and purposes, Gawker is the sum of its parts and is, is built and designed by the people who worked there. And uh, And I could be way off, but it sounds to me like not only are many of the old Gawker employees still at the Gawker properties, but there, there are more comrades than ever now. Uh, I, I would, I would like to believe that that is true. Yeah. I, I, I think that, (laughs) I think that's true on some days. It's more true on some days than others, but, but it's broadly true. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to ask you uh, a few questions about like the actual craft of, of your articles in particular, because uh, and it makes sense that, that you are you know, on the investigative team. Um, you have uh, sorry, let me rephrase this. Uh, you do a ton of research and use a lot of sources with your interviews. Uh, and your stories, and so I'm wondering if you can give us like a, a capsule version of what goes into the preparation that you put into each of your articles. Um, you know, like where do you find your sources? Uh, like, are there databases? Do you go back to them time and again? How do you work with them? Because I think a lot of people, even even journalists that we've had on the show, uh, don't really explore the depth of of research that you do. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I am lucky that the that my that my responsibilities right now and the job that I have right now allows me to do that. But even um, even before I had this job, um, I always felt that to the extent that it was possible, it was uh, incumbent upon me to kind of like bring in. Basically, like a, a historical context, um, I think is is really important, and, and I think that unfortunately, um, I mean, really, like new, like newspaper and like news reporters just like don't have the um, they just don't have the time mm-hmm. um, to to draw on those resources because it, because it is incredibly time consuming. I mean, especially when I'm like starting to work on something that I don't know a whole lot of whole lot about um 
it is a it's like a kind of um it's really just a process of like self-education like reaching out to reaching out to people who do know about a subject and saying hey can i just talk like, can i just talk to you about this like can i just like i i'm 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 interested in um this topic i have this idea i don't know if this is uh like if this really tracks or if this is or if this like makes any sense but like let me just talk to you and um it's astonishing to me how it's always astonishing to me how willing people are to share their share their knowledge share their experience share um their thoughts um with someone who they don't know who just like sent them an email out of the blue and is asking them to get on the phone um hey thanks for being on the phone (laughs) (laughs) um i think that i think that has a lot to do though with um i mean like if you if you if you bring a kind of like genuine like openness and curiosity to a conversation um even if it's not face to face, even if it is on the phone, like people, I don't know, people respond to that. Um, and, 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 and it kind of, in my, my experience is that it kind of builds from there. So like you'll have a conversation with someone, they will mention, um, you know, somebody else's work or like a book that, that, that you should read or, um, I don't know, just like the, uh, I don't know. Just like you, you, you find, you find, or I, 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 I find the thread and, um, you just keep pulling it. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's really, uh, it's really just, um, it's just kind of like a comprehensive or rather is a combination of like luck and trying to be as comprehensive as possible. Um, and And to just like learn about, learn as much as possible. And yep. where do you think that drive comes from? Because you said earlier that you didn't go to journalism school. Like, what did you study? What did you want to do before that you realized that you didn't want to do it? Um, well, I always, I, I, I always had um, writerly ambitions. Um, I was an English major. Uh, I, when I was in high school and college, I imagined myself a a fiction writer. Um, I was really terrible. (laughs) Um, and, and also like kind of hated it. Like I, I, like I wanted to write fiction, but I couldn't write more than two sentences without, without like my internal editor, like kicking in and being like, this is, this is just garbage. Like you should, you should just you you just need to stop um and and so that was like it was kind of paralyzing um and it wasn't until i discovered like nonfiction and 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 uh, like as a i mean I, I knew about nonfiction, but like kind of discovered it as a as a discipline um and and journalism as a practice uh that where like the the kind of key thing is that you're not <laughs> you're not making something up <laughs> you're not like conjuring uh uh something to write about you're writing about something that's in the world mm-hmm. um but then you know the, 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 the once once i kind of like went through that shift and and reoriented my thinking then um I don't know. I think a com- combination of uh, what what drives me to try to try to like uh, to to approach th- these things in the way that I do. Um, it's a combination of well, one like uh, fear and self consciousness is that I just don't want to get anything wrong. I like <laughs> don't I, like don't I I, I don't want to um, I don't want to fuck up basically, uh, and a good way to not fuck up is to 
just know everything. <laughs> um, it, but, it is it is really funny because I've explored uh, nonfiction writing myself in the last few years, and uh, I've done a lot more of it than I ever have. And you know, it is all about just getting the facts right, and the structure can be amorphous, but you know reasonably speaking there is a place for every piece of information that you want to include and you just have to find out where that place is right um and the other and then and then the, the what kind of supplements that is like a genuine um well not that that fear of fucking up isn't genuine but like a a more um proactive uh and like i don't know um principled uh, inclination that like given given the kinds of things that I want to write about the subjects that I'm drawn to um, and my like the critical and ideological and political framework that I am um, operating in like historical context and 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 by historical, I, I don't just mean things that happened like 50 years ago. I mean like contemporaneous things that like may not on the um, on the face of them appear related. But when you do take a few steps back, you kind of realize like, oh, these things are complementary in some way or, or are connected in some way. Um, to me, like it is important to bring that understanding or to, to try to um, try to usher people towards uh, a, an, an understanding of how the world works in, 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 in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's uh, I've always, it's funny cause I'd never even thought about it in the past, but I've realized that, you know, it is correct if you say that you can't do it wrong. Uh, and it is also correct to say that, like, there is a very easy avenue to do it wrong. To do and what? To do what wrong? To, when you're writing nonfiction. Mm. You know, it, it's it's just interesting to me because I think both of those statements can be true in different instances. Yeah, well, the, yeah, I mean, you can you can be not wrong and write something just bad yeah <laughs> or, or like boring or uh like <laughs> or you can be totally right and, and more, still do the same thing morally reprehensible <laughs> that, yes that's true um it's funny we we actually on the a previous episode of the show we talked to somebody about uh they wrote fiction where somebody was um doing really horrible things and he was you know he was sick at the fact that he had to get into that person's mind and, and sit there and write that story for weeks on end. Mm. Uh, but he did it ultimately because he wanted to show the opposite side of it, but didn't feel that he could write that same story without being able to justify it from his own point of view. Um, mm. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's wild, you know, writing can be like the strangest drug apparently. So, <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, it's deep, bro. I know, I know. I, you know, we do it for the listeners. <laughs> Um, but I, I do think that we, we've hit that point where we, uh, we strike into the story that you've always struggled to tell. Um, and you, you sent us a couple examples of stories that were really rough for you. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'll let you have at it. And, and you also mentioned that you might go in an entirely different direction, which is also fine. You have the floor. Well, I mean, The, okay, so here's here's the issue, <laughs> is that there is one particular story that, like, when I, like, when you pose the question, like, what's a story that you struggle to tell? There's, I have something that comes into my mind that, uh, I is a story that I spent months on uh, this summer and fall. And that drove me absolutely crazy. Uh, I was working with an incredibly difficult source who um, drove me up the wall. 
And I'm not sure that I can talk about the like substance of what it was that I was trying to verify. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like, can say that it was about Trump and that it was about uh, it was about a rumor. It was a rumor about uh, stuff that he things that were alleged to have happened in the early 80s, at which time it is now uh, well-documented that he was engaged in a number of business relationships with members of the uh, mafia. Um, And I was talking with someone who claimed to have direct knowledge of some very salacious uh, and deeply illegal and immoral activity. Um, well, that's that, a story we want to hear. I know, I know, but I don't, <laughs> but I don't think it's like, so it's like so bad that I, I honestly don't, even though he's like the president now and there's basically no, the standards of like, there's like, you can't like slander or libel like the president, but yeah. In any, I mean, in, any we're, in any event, we're all we all just ended up on a list, anyways. Yeah, I mean, we we can to, can we this can will we, never this could never air, and we're still on that list. So. Well, we we could, I mean, we could discuss this in the hypothetical, or we could just drop it and go with something else. It's totally well, no, I mean, I, I I think that um, but that is like very literally a story that you have struggled to tell. Yeah, I mean, I like <laughs> it's very literally a story a story that I struggled to tell. Like, I I yeah, I like can't. I like it, and I mean, and and we, and then we, I tried to try to figure out a way to like make it into, um, you know, like basically a kind of like meta story of like here's this crazy rumor that uh, that I was told that like, and then here's the story of how I like tried to verify it was true because I learned like all kinds of insane shit and like had all these insane experiences. Um, like with this like former mafia guy, but like uh, it's a right around, but not around a person around a fact that you were trying to. Yeah. 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 Um, but I mean, and we ultimately, and I like wrote a draft of it, but like we ultimately ended up deciding not to that. Like it, it, that like if we couldn't confirm that the central allegation of the story was, um that it was true or if we even couldn't even get like a like a second source to say like yeah like i like i was also like told this at the time like that i like basically get a second source to confirm mm-hmm. it um that like it wasn't worth it to to basically to like kind of try and cheat and like <laughs> i at the time um after spending like four months on this, I was incredibly frustrated by, by that. Cause I just wanted to, um, like I had invested so much time and effort into, into trying to confirm this, that I was like, come on, like, w- like, w- come on, <laughs> like, let, like, let's just do it. Like, like, come on. Uh, uh, but in retrospect, like, I'm, I'm glad that my editors made, made that call. Like, I think that was, I think that was the right call. I think that it would have, um, I don't think anything bad would have happened. I just think that I would be like <laughs> less, I would not be, um, it, it may have played with your credibility a little bit. Nah, I mean, I don't know. Like it's fucking Trump. Like you can fucking say anything about him. Like nobody gives a shit. But like I, 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 I don't know. I, I just I think I think it was the right call. Um, so I have you. How many? How often does that happen? <laughs> you know that you like get to the point where you've actually like written and filed the story, and then they don't run with it. Not. Not super often. What's hap- What has happened a couple times more 
recently as we are um, kind of like working out the like the the parameters of the special project desk and like what are the kinds of stories that we um, like want to spend time on and like how like where we want to put our attention like what's happened a couple times is that I will um, like report out a story uh, like I, ha I had a um, like I filed a story about um, Scott Pruitt and some of the 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 money behind him that has kind of uh, uh, guided his rise to power um, in Oklahoma and now to be administrator of the um, EPA. Uh, and, like, I had some, like, new information. Like, it was, we, we would have been, like, breaking news um, about him and his relationships and I filed this story and my editors made the call that like like this is like it, it's a good story but um <laughs> basically we want you to like keep working on this and like make it like bigger like I, I filed the story and they were like okay like this this is fine but we want this to be like the lead of a bigger story, which <laughs> drove me a little bit crazy at the time because I was like, "This is like a good fucking story. We should get it out there." Um, but I, but I also get it. Like I, I, I understand like that that uh, I don't know that like that that that's their that's their vision. Like that's their call. Um, mm -hmm. And and as a reporter, like uh, as, as I mean, I I love. I love writing features and I love doing, doing long stories. Um, and I've, and, and in a certain respect, that's where I feel like most comfortable and most at home. On the other hand, like when I have a, you know, when you have a scoop, like you want to get it out. Um, and that can be, that can be frustrating. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a strange situation. Um, you know, you're doing your job and you have every intention of doing it right and you did do it right, but because of random circumstances, you just like aren't able to show the world. So it, it's funny because I think a big part of the reason that people love, you know, journalism and writing is because of the validation that you get from it. Um, <laughs> and I mean, that's just like the missing piece in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and and it's it's a little bit of um, delayed gratification, I think, uh, or or to the extent that um, not delayed gratification. It's just uh, you have to work harder for it, <laughs> um, which which uh, which can be frustrating, but I think is worth it in the long run and it's also kind of like um like it's a little bit of a flex to produce something further farther down the road that contains like small like small or new pieces of information that haven't been reported in any place else yet that like were I working for a where I to have a different job at this same company or to be working for a different publication would be like the kind of like top line in uh, like in like a shorter story that in this context then becomes just like another like good detail that is the product of good research and good reporting um, that supports like a larger argument. Um, so like that, that also feels good. Um, it's just in a different way. It's a bit like a progression. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brendan, where can our listeners find more of your work online? So specialprojectsdesk.kinja.com. So um, Kai, Kai, K-I-N-J-A um, dot com. Or just, uh, you know, Follow me on Twitter. <laughs> What's your handle? Uh, it's at underscore Grendon with a G. 
I love that handle so why, much. Why, why Grendon? Um, was well, this you, just as a quick you, you love ba- you love Beowulf? <laughs> no, um, no, it circles back around. Uh, at one point when I was an intern at the All, I, Corey was yelling at me about something over email, and uh, in all caps. <laughs> Just mi- misspelled Brendan as Brendan, and uh, and then it stuck. Nice. That is that's a good. I'm glad I asked. Yeah. Um. All right. Thank you so much, Brendan. Uh, I think we've we've occupied enough of your time tonight. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks so yeah, much. Thank you. It was great. That was Brendan O'Connor. You can find him on Twitter at Brendan. Uh, it's actually underscore and then Grendon. But anyway, if you Google Brendan O'Connor Twitter, you'll find him. He's great. He's a really good follow. Uh, he is super snarky and I think a communist. I don't really know. Uh, in any case, uh, thank you so much, Brendan, for being on the show. Thank you, Ryan Dan, for writing up that music that you hear at the top and the bottom of each hour. This is Writers Who Don't Write. Uh, we are a podcast where we interview authors about the one story they've always struggled to tell as well as a bunch of stuff from their career uh we have some really awesome interviews in our archive which you can dig into on the podglomerate.com or at uh, www.podcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts Uh, i'm sure that we have more than a few writers that you would love Uh, You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and we have a newsletter that you can find at tinyletter.com slash www.podcasts. We also want to thank Ben Sound for making the music that you heard right in the middle of the show, and I encourage you all to listen to as many of the Podglomerate shows as you find interesting, and we're hopefully going to have a bunch more for you soon. Thank you so much, and tune in in two weeks for a very special 40th episode with Sarah Novick. Oh my god, we're gonna hit 40. Hell yeah. We're over the hill. We're nearing the hill. Yeah. Wait, is 40 over the hill or is 40 like you've made it to the hill? I don't know. We're almost middle aged. We're about to have our silver birthday. Oh god. What's our midlife crisis gonna be? Do we get to buy something fun? Yeah. Let's get new microphones. We should get lower back tattoos. Ooh. I mean, that would assume that I don't already have one. (laughs) Touche. Uh, also, we, we technically have like 43 episodes already up if you count our bonuses. Oh. Well, that's less fun. Anyways, we'll see you in two weeks. Podglomerate, a sonic universe.